This is our last chance to see Sam and Amy in those acting roles. Sorry about that. We're going to bring the series to an end this week, right? The name of the series is Jesus Said What? Also, the last time I'll make you do that uh, as we bring the series to an end. And what what is our series, Jesus Said What, been about? It's been about a handful of passages in the gospel that we see where Jesus' teaching is challenging and confusing to us. Where when we read it, we say, what, what does he mean there? What, what could he possibly mean when he says that? And so over the course of this series, we have looked at Jesus' teaching where he tells his followers that they are to live their lives in fear. We've looked at his teaching where he teaches his followers to hate their family. We've looked at Jesus' teaching where he talks about renouncing everything we own. And we've tried to dig into those teachings and see what Jesus meant as he was talking about each one of those things. And today we come to a passage where Jesus declares that he hasn't come to bring peace on the earth, but in fact came to bring division. Does does that strike your ears as strange? It should, because who is it that's the Prince of Peace? Jesus. And who is it that declared, blessed are the peacemakers? Jesus. And when the angels appeared at his birth, they declared glory to God in the highest. And what on earth? Peace on earth. And so in fact, in his coming, wasn't it all about Jesus bringing peace? So then why does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in in verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not that hard. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Then Jesus goes from there on into a passage that we looked at two weeks ago about the priority of Jesus even over our families. Wait, so Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword that divides people? I'm confused. Did Jesus come to bring peace or or didn't he come to bring peace? When we ask the question, did Jesus come to bring peace? Of course, the answer is yes and no. And for us to understand how Jesus came to bring peace and also didn't come to bring peace, we have to first understand the great conflict that uh, that exists in our world. The great conflict. And when I talk about the great conflict, I'm not talking about Packers versus Vikings. I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. I'm not even talking about Pastor Kenny versus Pastor Matt in basketball. Oh, that that is a great conflict. The great conflict is the conflict that has existed ever since there was rebellion against God. God designed everything that he made in order to bring him glory. To be God-centered to be loving like he is, to be obedient to him. But there was a rebellion. There's one that the Bible refers to as the adversary. And the enemy led a rebellion in which Satan decided that life was going to be about him rather than pointing to God, in which he was disobedient rather than obedient. And ever since that time, there has been this great conflict within the world. There is a battlefield that has now two sides to it. One that draws attention to God and is obedient to him, and one that draws attention to self and is disobedient to God. 
And the Bible says that every person ever born is on one side or the other of that great conflict. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 talks about that conflict and the two sides. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There are only two kinds of people. There are only two sides in this great conflict. There's the children of God who are filled with love, point to God with their lives, and seek to be obedient. And there are the children of the devil who are selfish and disobedient, sometimes called the children of the world. And there are only these two sides, the Bible says. And the problem is, is that ever since Adam and Eve in the garden decided to side with the adversary and disobey God and act in selfishness, all of us have been born into a life where we sin and stand opposed to God. We are on the wrong side of the battlefield from birth because of our sin and our selfishness and our disobedience. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 talks about this. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Everyone apart from Jesus is a what of God? An enemy of God. On the wrong side of the battlefield. And here is where Jesus came to make peace. You want to talk about some ways that Jesus makes peace and ways that he doesn't. The greatest way that Jesus came to make peace is to make peace between us and God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took our sins, our punishment upon himself. Our righteousness was cre- his righteousness was credited to us so that we were able to move across the battlefield and now be a part of God's family. We now have peace with God, and it's that peace with God that the angels sang about when Jesus came as a baby. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus didn't come to bring peace to everyone, did he? Jesus came to bring peace to those with whom God is pleased. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22 says there is no peace for the wicked. Jesus came to bring peace, but he doesn't bring peace with God to those who remain on this side in selfishness, in sin, in disobedience. He only brings peace to those with whom he is pleased. And who is it that pleases God? Who who is it that pleases God and receives that peace with God? It's those who place their faith in Jesus as their Savior and as Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, 6 hints at this. When it says, and without faith it is impossible to do what? To please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith makes the difference. 
It is only through faith that we move from enemies of God to those who please God and are a part of his family. We were all born as enemies of God in our sins. But through the work of Jesus Christ, we are part of his family. But because Jesus has come to save people over to his family, there is now a division. He he has come as a sword, and because he has saved people to come over to be a part of his kingdom, his family, his army, there's now a division between the children of Jesus and the children of the world. And it's Matthew chapter 10 that is telling us about that division that Jesus creates. He came to make peace with God, but in so doing, Jesus came to divide his children from the children of the devil. This is a hard message in our day and age. Because we live in a world that champions unity and oneness among all humankind. Can't we all just be one big happy family? There was even a song that played on Christian radio a couple of years ago that declared, we all bleed the same, so tell me why we're divided. The song is telling us, come on, we're all a part of the same human family, so why is there any division among us? Jesus says, there's division because I came. I came as a sword in order to create division between my people and the people of the world. Now, the people of Jesus are never to act as enemies towards the people of the world, correct? We are always to act in love towards the people of the world. We are never to overcome evil with evil, but to always overcome evil with good, right? And yet at the same time, while the people of God are over here constantly inviting the people of the world to come join them, there is no sense in which Jesus ever calls his people to compromise in order to try and make one big happy family in the middle. God's plan is not that the people of Jesus and the people of the world would both create some compromises and be able to meet and create one big happy family in the middle. Jesus says, no, I came as a sword in order to create division even within homes if necessary because I am such a priority in life that those over here in the world who don't have me as a priority in life will not get along with those over here who do. So that he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, right before the verses we read, all men will hate you because of me, because he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We make a strong choice for Jesus. He's the priority of our lives. And because of that, that creates division with those for whom that is not true. And Jesus says, my coming does that. It creates that division. Not my plan that there would be one big happy human family. I've created this division. My people are a holy priesthood, he says, set apart to be totally distinct from the world. And they are to continually invite people to come and join them in that holy priesthood through the work of Jesus Christ. His coming creates division between his people and the people of the world. But I also want us to understand that in his coming, Jesus intends to create total unity and total peace among his people over here on this side of the battlefield, right? So while Jesus comes to divide his children from the children of the devil, he also came to create total unity and total peace among his children. And that is supposed to be completely distinct from the way that the world operates. 
The world operates in conflict with each other. There is no peace with God over here, so there is no peace with each other. The church is meant to look totally different than that and be a people of peace and unity. You you see the conflict in humanity all around us. One of my favorite stories about that conflict involves a guy named Lee McFadder who took his young daughter to meet the Cookie Monster at a Sesame Street show. When Cookie Monster hurried away without posing for a picture with Lee's daughter, Lee got himself arrested for assaulting the furry blue character. Police said Lee shoved and kicked the employee inside the costume. 20-year-old Jenny McNellis suffered bruised ribs and a cervical sprain when Lee shoved her to the ground and then kicked her in the head and back repeatedly. For Lee, C is for crazy. Millions have died in wars over the last century. 50% of marriages end in divorce. One in four girls is abused while growing up in the home. You don't need to do more than look at our community over the course of the last year to see how division with God has created enmity among people. And Jesus says, I have come to call a people to myself who are different than that, who live in unity and peace. Look through the New Testament and look at the calls for God's people to be one, to be of one mind, to be united together, to be at peace with one another. That is God's call among his people, that we would be a people who are at peace and united together. How in the world does the Holy Spirit create unity and peace among a group of people as diverse as the body of Christ? How in the world can we expect the Holy Spirit to create unity and peace amongst a group of people as diverse as the body of Christ. We have different priorities about work. We have different political affiliations. We raise our children differently. We handle our finances differently. We prefer different kinds of music. We come from different backgrounds. I could go on like this forever, right? We have all of these differences. How in the world is the Holy Spirit to create unity among a group that is so different? The answer to that question is by focusing us on one great major. The Holy Spirit creates unity among his people by focusing our hearts and our minds and our lives about one great major so that everything else in life becomes minor by comparison. What is that one great major that is to be the focus of our hearts, our minds, and our lives? It's knowing Christ and making him known. It's to be so big in our lives that everything else fades into the background by comparison. And that is how the Spirit produces unity among God's people, peace among God's people. Because we have this one great connecting point that is our all-consuming passion in life, knowing Christ and making him known, and everything else fades into the background by comparison. When I started dating Erica in high school, She became, for a period of time, an all-consuming passion in my life. I had a lot of other things going on at that point. There there was school and grades and sports and trying to make college decisions. Everything else faded into the background for a period of time. And all that mattered to me was getting to know Erica during that time. As a matter of fact, I, I remember one time staying up really late the night before a big football game, talking to her on the phone. Why would I do that? Because at that point, she was all that mattered. 
She, she was major and everything else in my life became minor by comparison. Now, you guys, that's not healthy because Erica is not God, right? Oh, no amens. Okay, great. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus is God and it is totally healthy for him to be that all-consuming passion in our lives. For, for knowing him and making him known to be so major in our life that everything else is minor, we might even say rubbish by comparison with that one great major in our life. I love the way Romans 15.5 puts it. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. The only way that we can live in harmony with one another is when being in accord with Christ Jesus is our great passion. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred during World War II, put it this way in his great work on Christian community life together. He said, the more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. The one major. Everything else fades into the background as minor. There are times when those who identify as God's people have warred with each other. I'm thinking of Protestants and Catholics for centuries in Europe. I'm thinking of those crazy stories we hear of of churches occasionally splitting over what color carpet to put in or those kinds of uh, just absolutely insane things that happen among those who claim to be followers of Jesus. What happens in those situations? If God's spirit produces peace and unity among his people, what happens in those situations? There's only a couple of possibilities. One is that you have people who are actually children of the world who are living over here within the church as children of God who are leading people into selfishness and disobedience. The second option is that those who are genuinely children of God have allowed the minors to become major in their life. And there's, we're experiencing division because the minors have become major. Dare I say that over the course of the last year, we have witnessed and experienced some fracturing. Some, some disunity at times within the body of Christ. Why? Because people have allowed their hearts and their minds, their expressions with their mouth, their expressions on social media to be about the minors rather than focusing on the majors. I, I didn't plan on saying this, but I, I just want to call your attention to an account that has been super helpful to me. There's been a series of devotions, and I'm not going to tell you who does it, uh, but they're called Nuggets of Gold. And uh, one of the things that I've really appreciated, and I've been off social media for the last couple of months, so it may have, uh, I don't know, it may have devolved into total heresy during that time, but before that, there was just this wonderful focus on the major in those nuggets of gold. As other people began to divert off to talk about all of these minor things over the course of the last year, this devotional account just stayed focused on the major, knowing Christ and making him known, his word and what it calls us to. 
so deeply appreciative of that and others who have kept their focus on the major that keeps us united. Peace with God brings peace among God's people over here on this side of the battlefield. We're one, we're united. There's one more way that Jesus' coming brings peace that I want to talk about before I stop yapping at you this morning. And that is this. Jesus came to bring peace to your hearts. In his coming, Jesus came to bring peace within you. That great conflict that we talked about, sometimes it creeps inside. Anyone had that experience? And when the great conflict that goes on out here begins to creep inside, we experience worry, anxiety, insecurity in our lives. But Jesus says when he brings peace with God, his spirit begins to work in us and begins to move us from insecurity and worry into peace in our lives. It's a fruit. Trees don't produce all the mature fruit they're going to produce right away. It's a process that God's spirit brings us to a place of insecurity and worry, to a place of peace within our lives. Does God do that by making sure that all of the circumstances around us are peaceful? No, that's, that's not really the way that he works, is it? Jesus says so in John 16. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells his disciples, in this world, you're going to have craziness. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. And yet, you can have peace in me. How is it possible that we can have peace in Jesus while everything around us is a mess? While everything around us is tribulation? We can have peace, not because Jesus changes all of our circumstances, but because Jesus changes our perspective our relationship with Jesus when we become his disciples revolutionizes our perspective. Everything is changed. It changes our perspective about eternity. But this is, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I've seen people abuse this verse and say, in Jesus and in love, there is no fear. If you're experiencing any sort of fear, you're not in Christ. Right? So, so if we're in a dark hallway and I jump around the corner and go, boo, and you jump back, I go, you're not in Christ. That's fear. Right? Jesus isn't talking about that. And he's not talking about whether or not you're scared of spiders. Right? The context is very specific here. In Christ, when we are living in that love, There is no fear of what? Judgment. This is all about the fear of judgment that he's talking about here. The greatest area of worry and anxiety that people deal with in this life is what's going to happen to me when I die? It's such a thorough challenge for us that people spend all of their lives trying to stay busy and fill the quiet times of their lives with noise so that they don't think about what is going to happen when I die. For the believer, there is a total transition when we are living in faith from worry and anxiety about what's going to happen when I die to hope. 
so that as we're living in faith, we're excited because we recognize God's promises. All of my greatest blessings are for you when you die. We transition. We, we transition from fear, anxiety, and worry to hope and excitement about what takes place in our lives when we pass beyond this life. He shifts our perspective about eternity. He also brings peace to us by shifting our perspective about happiness. How does the world seek to gain happiness? By getting to the next level of everything in life. Somewhere contentment and genuine happiness is out there. And if I just get to the next stage of what I own, to the next stage of comfort, to the next stage of promotion, whatever it is, if I just get to the next stage, happiness and contentment is up there somewhere for me. Jesus says, when you become my follower, I tell you to get off of that ladder altogether and instead devote your entire life just to my kingdom, to to knowing me and making me known. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, right? It, it's, it's the pagans who worry about, what, what am I going to get? Am I going to get to that next level where contentment and happiness are? Jesus says, that's not my people. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The world says, I, I got to work all this out get to where I need to be. And there's a tremendous amount of worry and anxiety in life about whether or not I can get myself to where I need to be. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Instead, just seek the kingdom. You you may not get to where you think you need to be, but you're going to get to where I think you need to be. Just seek me, I'll provide what you need. Jesus changes our perspective about how you gain happiness and it brings peace to our lives. Finally, he shifts our perspective through prayer. He shifts our perspective through prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why does prayer battle anxiety and worry in my life? Is it because when I go to prayer, I know that Jesus will give me anything that I say? That he will totally change my circumstances to the way that I think they should look? Sometimes he does that. Right? Sometimes he does that. But that that isn't what we're promised. What we know to be true is that when I go to prayer, every time he changes my perspective. From the perspective of Matt to the perspective of God's vision and God's eyes. And the only way our perspective can change from Matt's perspective to God's perspective is through prayer. That, that's the tool he uses for that change to take place. Because in prayer, I'm reminded that God is the one who's in control. I, I'm going through life and I've got this picture of myself behind the steering wheel and I'm trying to get all of these different places where my life needs to be and it's only in prayer that I recognize that it is God who is the one who is behind the wheel and I'm actually a kid in the back seat who is totally content, not because they've worked out all the turns, but because they trust dad who's driving. It's only in prayer that we gain that perspective that he is in control and will work for our good. It's only in prayer that I recognize all he has provided for me, all he's done to get me to this place. 
Did you notice in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that as we're praying, we're to do so, what did it say? With thanksgiving. What does thanksgiving do? It reminds us that God has gotten us to where we are and that he has been good to us again and again and again in our lives. And if he has provided for me thus far, won't he provide for me in the future? I I actually put some notes here into an old journal of mine. And as I was doing that this morning, I was looking through different things that I'd been praying about a few years ago. And I just stood there putting notes into my journal this morning in awe of how, God, how good God has been to me. All of the different, life's taken different turns than I imagined. Sometimes it's been hard and challenging. But as I look through the things that I was praying about a few years ago, I just would stamp a giant, God is good over every page. And if he's been good thus far, what can I expect in the future? What can I expect in the future from him? Prayer reminds me he's provided. And finally, prayer reminds me of God's priorities. So often I experience worry, anxiety, and insecurity in my life because I am concerned that I'm going to face something that is uncomfortable. And I don't want to go through something that is uncomfortable. And it's only in prayer that I am reminded God's priority for my life is not my comfort, it is my righteousness. It's only in prayer that I'm reminded God's priority for my life isn't my comfort, it's Christ-likeness. And sometimes I have to go through hard and challenging things for him to chip away at the rough edges of my life in order to make me more like him. That perspective only comes as I dig into his word and spend time with Jesus in prayer. It is through prayer that Jesus brings peace in my life by changing my perspective. Jesus came in order to create peace between us and God. In doing that, he has brought us into his family and there is now division between those who are part of the family of God and those who are part of the family of the world. And in Matthew chapter 10, the passage that we started by looking at, Jesus is acknowledging that division that was brought about by his coming between his people and the people of the world. But among his people, his coming should produce total peace and total unity as they seek him, knowing him and making him known. And of course, Jesus came to bring peace to our hearts as well. The big question is, do you have that peace? Do you have peace with God that produces peace with fellow believers, that produces peace in you? Do you have that peace? The angels claim, uh, came and they proclaimed, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth towards those with whom his favor rests or those with whom he is pleased. Are you one of those with whom he is pleased? He's pleased with those who place their faith in Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord. Is that you? A couple of weeks ago, we had 12 people here proclaim, that's me in the waters of baptism. Uh, We had a dozen people here at Friendship step into the water and say, yes, that is me. I now have peace with God and peace in my life. Are you at a place where it's time for you to proclaim that in the waters of baptism? You'll see baptism on your Connect cards. If you want to talk more about that, we'd love to talk about baptism with you. And you can check that on the Connect cards as you put those in the offering buckets that are about to go by.